the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Good for a Weekend, the podcast where two friends talk about Taylor Swift. I'm Cressy Cornis. And I'm Allie Klebus. And today we have a very exciting interview to share with you all today. We chatted with Christina Perro, author of Lucky, a novel. It is a book she wrote during the pandemic inspired by the last great American dynasty and by Miss Swift herself. We learned some very interesting things and I think you're going to learn a few things too. Let's dive into the interview and learn a little bit more about Christina's book, Lucky, as well as our favorite champagne pool fill-in ballet hosting dying pet screen socialite. So everyone today, give a big warm welcome to Christina Pero. Christina, would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself and why you are here today? Sure. Thanks, Cressy. So like she said, my name is Christina Pero. I am an author and I actually was an essential worker. I'm a speech language pathologist by background and I was working in a nursing home during the pandemic and it was just a really traumatic time. My nursing home got hit with COVID at the beginning of February, basically. And so by March, when things were locking down, all of my patients had COVID. And so it was just a scary time. It was just hard to be in that environment throughout the year. Um, and I was growing increasingly <laughs> depressed, I would say, in a way about it. And um, Taylor's album Folklore came out in July around a time that I just really needed it. And I dove into her lyrics and her song and the stories that she was telling. And I uncovered a story that helped me make sense of the chaos that my life had been enveloped by in a way. And um, it just really helped me get through a hard time, both the album and then the writing of my book, Lucky, which is inspired by folklore and the story of Rebecca Harkness. And so that is why I'm here today, because I thought that we would have quite a bit to talk about on this podcast. Yeah. Um, and have you always been a writer or were you, did you, have you always had an interest in writing and things like that? Not really. I <laughs> actually never really thought of myself as a good writer um, in many ways, but I just found myself with a lot to say, but yet I wasn't able to put it into words. 
a lot to say about the world around me and my relationships with people and the world around me. And it was almost like cathartic for me to write in that situation. And it just kind of came pouring out of me. And then I had a book. It was crazy. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Thanks. So why don't you tell our listeners what exactly Lucky is about? And how did you get started? Okay, good question. So I, like many of you, was very intrigued just by the entire concept of folklore and storytelling. Right when folklore came out, I spent, I was spending a lot of time on Reddit and just looking at different people's analyses and theories. And, you know, people would post articles about Rebecca or, you know, articles about Taylor saying things about the album. And my interest just kept getting peaked. And so I saw this one article about Rebecca Harkness that the author said, so it was in in reference to Blue Blood, which is the biography about her. Mm -hmm. And the author said that Craig Unger, who wrote Blue Blood, has compiled this like amazing treasure chest of information that a novelist would really have a lot to work with and that they would be interested to see, I believe the wording was a novelist, what a novelist's ordering imagination could do to her story. Because the story of Rebecca Harkness is extremely chaotic. Mm -hmm. And um, in the biography about her, which is really hard to even find, um, but in the biography about her, the author, Craig Unger, doesn't even really attempt to make sense of the chaos. He just presents it as it is. And he's like, this is tragic. And that's kind of it. It was helpful for me to use her story to her story and the parallels between her story and Taylor's music and Taylor's story. Um, I just found it helpful to figure out some answers to the problems that I was having in my life through that. So that was a long way to say (laughs) the story of Lucky is uh, two intertangled stories. One is the story of Rebecca Harkness and it tells the story of her entire family's lineage, um, starting from her grandfather, who's a Confederate soldier in the Civil War. And it goes all the way through her children who have tragic demises. And so that story is told in parallel to the story of Rhea Harmonia, who is a fictional pop star who has many challenges as she's, you know, um, reaching towards fame and fortune. Um, And she kind of reaches the peak of fame and fortune and realizes that life is not as beautiful as she thought it might be up on top. And then, so her side of the story is her dealing with that and dealing with the challenges that come along with fame and fortune from more of an existential point of view. 
Um, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, but outside of those books and the biographies about Rebecca Harkness, did you do any other research? Like, did you find, you tagged us in something today where it looked like it was a newspaper headline about Rebecca? Like what other kinds of research did you do as you were writing this book? Oh my goodness. So much research. I was going through my notes today when I was preparing for our little chat. Um, but I went into all aspects of the world in my research. Um, I went really deep into kind of the foundations of Western thinking. So philosophers and Greek mythology. Um, I read obviously Blue Blood by Craig Unger and then all of the articles that I could get my hands on about Rebecca Harkness. Um, I read a lot of the different books that Taylor has mentioned in interviews throughout the years. Um, I just wanted to get a fully encompassing view of kind of her perspective and their perspective in a way. Um, they just have such unique human perspectives, in my opinion. Like, you know, who else gets to live life like Taylor Swift or Rebecca Harkness? And for those of you who don't know, Rebecca Harkness is the star of Taylor Swift's song, The Last Great American Dynasty. And she married into the Standard Oil family, which was Rockefeller's company. And when her husband, Bill, died just a few years later, she inherited all of his money and it was close to a million dollars, or I'm sorry, close to a billion dollars in today's money. And so she was able to live her life however she wanted. And when I was so stuck, I felt so stuck when I was working in the nursing home during the pandemic, like I was you know, in this trapped in this hamster cage, running this wheel. And if I fell, I would die, but there was no way out. I just, I was escaping into their perspective to see what it was like. And it turns out that the grass is not always greener on the other side. I am really interested to know what order you wrote it in because you are writing about Rebecca and a fictional version of Taylor. Did you start with Rebecca, kind of get that to fruition or were you going back and forth? Because in the book, it actually goes back and forth. And I'm just wondering how you actually laid that all out. Yeah. So when I first started writing, I was more kind of exploring the tragedy side of it. And I was just looking at the world around me and I was like, man, things are really tragic. And on the back of my book, I think I say the tragedy of the American dream. So I started by writing more essay-like things about those ideas while I was also trying to story Rebecca Harkness's story and the information that Craig Unger, like the material that he gathered into a story that made sense even to me. Mm -hmm. um, in my notes, I was looking, I, I made this timeline of oh, Rebecca wow. Harkness's life. <laughs> and um, like, I think up until here, like that's only half of her life. And then the rest is just like chaos. And I couldn't even fit it onto my timeline <laughs> because just so many things happened. And I was like, 
what is important, what is, you know, you know, the, the main story. So Mm -hmm. I started with that. And I also, at the same time was looking into folklore and Taylor Swift's life. And I started to find just these really interesting parallels between the two other than the obvious. Um, so I think that one of folklore's themes obviously is storytelling, but kind of how stories are how we perceive and how we perceive is our reality. Um, and I think also there's an idea of cyclical parallel duality mm-hmm. um, in the lyrics too. And so I kind of was thinking about it like inception of stories, mm-hmm. like stories are told to show that those stories repeat in smaller and bigger forms. Yeah, And that was just so interesting to me when reading Blue Blood and delving more into Rebecca Harkness's life, because the amount of parallels and it was just, it was really insane. What was the um, most surprising parallel you found? So at first I thought that the story of the pop star would be more along the lines of like old money, like the Kennedys. Mm-hmm. So, and I have just a lot of interest in the Kennedys in general. Um, And so I was looking into Taylor Swift's, um, her friendship with Ethel Kennedy. And it turns out that Ethel Kennedy at some point in, I believe, and again, this is all speculation, disclaimer, I don't want to get sued at any point, but it seems that Ethel Kennedy was renting her home in Palm Springs, Florida from Wolfie, who is inspiration behind the character of the wolf, who, if you guys, you've read my book, so you know that he is part of the tragic demise of Rebecca Harkness's family. Yeah. And um, so I just, and I think that it was the summer after Taylor spent the summer at the Kennedys that she bought Holiday House. And I just, I can't imagine that that was not a topic of conversation at some point. (laughs) Yeah. In history. So I found that to be just like a really interesting connection. Um, That is so cool. Is there anything like about Rebecca Harkness that you found in your research that we and the people listening may not know? Like what are like some of the coolest little nuggets of information that you found during your research? Yeah. So, well, she was born into an already wealthy family, which I thought was interesting. I didn't like, I guess I didn't really get that from the song. Um, And then she was just like her in the bitch pack. Like she was just very, um, I don't know what the word is. She was just reckless and she 
you know, did a lot of crazy things starting in childhood and all the way through her life. And so some of those things I talk about in my book, but like she went on a cruise one time and it was with her brother and she got caught skinny dipping in the pool, like at night with some guy. And then her brother started taking bets with people on the ship that she would get kicked off. <laughs> so then they, their ship docks in the Philippines and the Philippine oh, national like band is playing them this welcome, you know, music. I think he's playing the Star Spangled Banner or something. And Betty, which Rebecca was named Betty, that was her nickname at this point. She throws a plate like a saucer and it hits the conductor and the conductor like collapses and everybody goes silent. Betty and her brother get kicked off the ship and get sent by plane back to America. Oh my God. <laughs> so just your average um, weekend. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, she went to Betty went to boarding school with a lot of interesting old money um, women. And I thought that that was intriguing. Um, Doris Duke was one of them. Um, I just, you know, she had a lot of connections to the names that we think of when we think of old money and that kind of just, you know, that 1920s glitz and glamour the opposite end of the spectrum of the depression, yeah. you know, um, it, she just has so many connections to so many people throughout her life and so many interesting people. Um, and so that made her story intriguing to me as I was doing my research because I kept encountering characters, let's call them, that I knew from, you know, history class or mm -hmm. from historical fiction books I read mm -hmm. or what have you. So that was definitely the most intriguing part of the whole process that as far as so going through Rebecca's story. It's yeah. crazy how many of these old characters all knew each other because the world was so big back then, you know, there was no email, there was no phone, there was no Snapchat, but they all were still running around the same crowds. It's so fascinating to me. It is. And you know, that actually brings up a good point because that, um, so I'm sure you guys have heard the saying that like old money is like a big club and you're not in it, you know? Yeah. And I think that part of that was the nature of the excuse me, the nature of the beast back then, because, you know, they could only meet up and socialize and network in person realistically. And yeah. so that would be in, in country clubs, in wherever rich people hung out back then. I'm not really <laughs> sure at, at the horse track. Um, but now with social media and the internet, we are able to connect with anyone with just the click of our mouse. And that really is interesting and yeah. exciting about this time. And I think that that just promotes the spread of ideas 
which is something that's so important. And I think that that was lacking back then. And I think that that's part of what led to Rebecca's demise. I wonder if they were actually, you know, getting together more at Holiday House or wherever because they couldn't sit at home and text each other and connect that way. I wonder, like, I feel like things are crazier almost. Oh my gosh. Well, and so speaking of interesting things, Holiday House itself, oh my goodness, the people who have been there, like oh. both in that century and this century. Yeah. I yeah, it's, it's got a reputation of... <laughs> some A-list oh guests oh a hundred percent and A-list in so many different ways like you know Salvador Dali yes a super yes. famous artist who is I mean because of his relation to like Da Vinci and Picasso like Dali is going to go down in the history books and is going to be someone who's remembered you know mm-hmm. and uh Buckminster Fuller who I mentioned in my book like yeah Ah, just he was a famous intellectual of that time just so many people and I wonder how many people and what kind of people other than the people that we know you know through her fourth of July parties I listened to your episode on that that was (laughs) awesome by the way um but it's just amazing to think that one space has brought has drawn so many people throughout the ages. And that was something that got me thinking with this book too. Like I was really exploring kind of the idea of the time-space boundary in a way. Mm -hmm. It's it's like, what about it with this space that has drawn all of these high energy people and two of like recent history's most high energy women Mm -hmm. in their own respects. So that was just really intriguing to me. It's also interesting to think about how much Taylor knows about Rebecca Harkness and her story. And if that kind of inspired her parties, like what we touched on in the 4th of July episode, how um, when Kesha was talking about it later, how like one floor was all the models, one floor was all the actors, one floor was all the musicians. She's this huge range of people. Like part of me wonders if she was channeling Rebecca. Like, I want the most broad range of the most fascinating people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't help but think that Taylor would draw inspiration, both inspiration and lessons, hopefully, from Rebecca's (laughs) story, you know, because there is a great lesson to be learned here too. And, you know, it's kind of like, there's two sides to every coin and the duality to greatness oftentimes is tragedy. So you have to be careful. And I think that Taylor has also learned that the hard way. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I showed with my character of Rhea how she also learned that the hard way, you mm-hmm. know? And so then she goes back to the story um, and, the, you know, my whole idea that stories you know stories change alongside each person who reads it and that includes each like version of you that reads the story Mm -hmm. each person you are in the period of life you are when you're reading that story like it changes alongside time and so Rhea revisits the story of Rebecca and then uses her story along with little clues that 
Rebecca leaves behind, which, so back to that in a minute, but she uses <laughs> that to kind of learn some lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the story isn't over yet and we don't know what's going to happen. The story is unwritten for Rhea and for, you know, all of us. So <laughs> it's always good to use caution. <laughs> and do you plan to write more? I do. Um, I, I'm working on another book right now, not of Rhea Harmonia or Rebecca, but actually it involves the character Abby. Oh, cool. Um, and so it's more of her story. So they'll they'll both be standalone novels, but they have, you know, ideas that are paralleled and kind of intertwined. And awesome. general the general universe, I would say. Yeah, well, I can't wait to read it. <laughs> cool, thanks. <laughs> I was wondering, um, did you guys notice any? Taylor Swift Easter eggs in the book from either like her music or uh, her life. I think the moments of Rhea being at the award shows were definitely noticeable as a Swifty. Any Swifty reading that would definitely mm-hmm. see those parts and be like, I know what she's talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I, uh, those scenes were obviously heavily inspired by her experiences. And, you know, I, I struggled with, with her story for a while because I didn't know how to tell this story without telling Taylor's story. And I didn't want to do that because that is not my story to tell. Um, and I think that that's kind of what I learned throughout this journey is you know, stories belong to, I think I say this in my book, like stories belong to whoever is lucky enough to tell it. But like, you have to make sure that the story you're telling is your story and not somebody else's story. So it's a fine line, but I tried to respect the fact, and I, I, tr- I want to respect the fact that Rhea is a completely separate and distinct character. Totally. And speaking mm-hmm. of telling other people's stories, how do you think Taylor did in The Last Great American Dynasty? Do you think she told the story well? She did. I mean, she's, she's summarized it well and she related it to her life. And I mean, that is what sparks the butterfly effect for my story, for other art and other conversations. And I think that that's like the mark of a good, good song and a good story. And I mean, Taylor's one of the best storytellers of all time. So <laughs> can't <laughs> Was really there go anything wrong. that she got wrong in it? Because I know the story about the dog was actually a cat. Was mm-hmm. there anything else in the song that you kind of found to be a little twisting the, the truth a bit? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like even Rebecca riding up on the train from St. Louis, that is not actually historically plausible because by the time she was Rebecca, she was already living in New York. So um, like she starts off by not telling the whole truth, but I think that that's by design, Mm -hmm. Um, you know? So it's interesting, but yeah. So with the cat or with the dog, (laughs) <laughs> dying the dog, Lime Green. It was actually a cat, 
and it wasn't her neighbor's cat, which I've seen that rumor circulate, but it was actually a house guest's cat. <laughs> and Rebecca was known for playing pranks on people, even malicious pranks sometimes. And so um, this house guest had gotten on Rebecca's nerves for whatever reason. So for revenge, she dyed the cat green. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that we're kind of shifting gears to the topic of Taylor, how long have you been a Taylor Swift fan? So I am not like historically a big fan of country music. So I wasn't really exposed to Taylor until 1989. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes me feel a little better. (laughs) But 1989 came out when I was in college. I think Blank Space was like on the radio every five minutes my junior year. And I just literally remember driving around my campus, windows down on my Jeep, like playing that song, feeling like uh, I just, it just wrapped me up completely. And I loved the music video. And that was kind of my first um, foray into Taylor. And then I went to the Reputation like tour concert. Mm -hmm. um, And that was, I hadn't really even listened to a ton of the Reputation songs before then. Like I'd listened to the singles and like watched the music videos, but I hadn't listened to the whole album. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I think when Lover came out, that's when I like really became like a huge fan. And then I went back to Reputation and I really delved into Reputation and Lover. And I, I think that you can probably see themes from both of those albums as well in Lucky. Um, I kind of use the story that that I interpreted from those two albums to craft the outline for the story of Rhea in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, But Folklore took it to just a whole another level for me. But before Folklore, like I was already like super excited about it. And like, I listened to Folklore on my way to work and like the first hour of work, like I just (laughs) listened through it straight the morning it came out. So yeah. So is Folklore your favorite album? You know, I was thinking about that today. It's so hard to pick mm-hmm. a favorite album or well, a Well, you could have song. a favorite album and a favorite era, but I think it's impossible to have a favorite song. You know, that's just too yeah. hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. Folklore, I mean, just given the fact that it inspired a book that was so inspiring, even just to me as the author, um, I would say that Folklore is probably my favorite in that regard but reputation is so iconic (laughs) totally oh my gosh and like the whole idea of reputation is so deep I think too because it's like the whole idea of like death and rebirth you Mm -hmm. know and we see those themes again in folklore and evermore um I talked about, I don't know if you guys listen on YouTube to English teacher KP, but I did. So she, she analyzes a bunch of Taylor Swift songs and she's been going into other artists lately and stuff too, but she is a fan favorite. Um, But so I 
talked with her about folklore and evermore themes on my Instagram on IG Live the other day, and we had so much fun. Um, but we were talking about, you know, death and rebirth being one of the themes and just kind of the cyclical, um, you know, the idea of life being kind of cyclical and the idea of the hero's journey, which is, so I talk a lot about myths in my book and um, I do that because I'm interested in the work of Carl Jung, the psychologist, and he has the idea that myths make up the archetypes of who we are and who we can be. And so we can use myths to help us understand our lives and what we want from our lives and what we might expect to see in our lives. And one of those myths is the idea of the hero's journey. And that's the idea of like a cyclical journey that we kind of all go through as we're trying to find meaning in our lives mm. and you know part of finding meaning is being the hero in your own story at a certain point but you know it's still like there's a peak to being a hero and then you're gonna have a downwards like spiral or downwards fall and then you're gonna have that death and re you know time of atonement and then rebirth and I think that Taylor captures that so well in her discography and it's just it's so inspirational in that way because I think that it can really help lead people out of dark times because you know it shows and she shows in a way that the answers can be found in yourself and they can be found through love mm -hmm. and like that's just really beautiful. Um, so we have a um, new Swifty Confessions episode coming up soon. And I don't know if you listened to our previous one, but it's basically where people share their little embarrassing Swifty Confession or they might be like, mm, I didn't really like that song that everyone loved or, you know, like things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a friend come on who literally said she used to send pictures of herself uh, crying to Taylor Swift um, in hopes that Taylor would actually respond to her one day. And, oh my gosh. Um, so my question <laughs> for you before we wrap up the episode is, do you have any Swifty confession that you would like to share with our listeners? Ooh, good question. Um, or it could well, just be like your most unpopular opinion. True. Ooh, you don't have to confess anything. <laughs> yeah, we don't have spicy hot take. Yeah, you don't have to tell <laughs> your darkest secrets on here. But well, I I guess I can say this is kind of a confession. I sent Taylor my book. Oh really? Um, oh my goodness. Publicist tree, and I didn't hear back for quite some time, and then I finally heard back, and tree. She responded to me and she said that she was unable to pass my book along, but she wishes me the best. Oh, um, so, which is so sad. So I got I so excited. And then me too. Oh I was, but when, then, when I saw Tree's name in my inbox, my heart was like, like it started it? so <laughs> fast. You guys have no idea. It was so sad. I mean, I was very happy that she took time to respond. And like, I'm not mad about it, but I guess my mm -hmm. biggest Swifty confession is that I really hope that Taylor reads my book at some point. <laughs> so did you mail your book 
to tree like you got trees address which i guess there's some kind of fan mail address out there or something is that how you got the address for that and then you just gave her your email and the little note no i emailed her i um i have a oh, friend see, who had her contact information oh, okay okay so um i think that it's also available online though mm -hmm. um oh, so okay. I, I emailed tree um i am planning on sending it copies of my book to taylor nation or the you know the nashville office yeah um but yeah i would just love for her to read it so <laughs> Well, you got an email from Tree Payne. That's more than I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like printed it out and I'm going to frame it. Honestly, I would. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I can't even. It's, it's like those, the best rejection letters. <laughs> yeah. From the uh, desk of Tree Payne. I mean, that's right. just iconic in itself. <laughs> Absolutely. But speaking of reading your book, where can people find your book? Where can they find you? Yes. So you can find me on Instagram. I'm Christina Para writes, and that's where I'm the most active. And I have like a lot of behind the scenes, supplemental information. Um, I don't know. I, I think that I've been sharing some interesting things. So if you like my book, you'll probably like my Instagram. You can also find me at christinapero.com. My contact information is on there. Um, to buy my book. It is on Amazon. I think it's on Target, Barnes and Noble, um, paperback, and then ebook is just on Amazon, but you can also read it for free on Amazon if you have Kindle Unlimited. So you can just search Lucky a Novel or Lucky Taylor Swift, Lucky Rebecca Harkness, anything will help you find it. Um, and then there are hardcover versions with full color illustrations that you can get on my website and that's christinapero.com. So those are on back order right now and I'm hoping that my shipment comes in soon, but I will be sending those out as soon as they arrive to me. Yes. Awesome. Well, mm -hmm. thank you so much for joining us today, Christina. This was so fun. And thank you for coming on. <laughs> I Absolutely. Yeah, this was a thank pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. To close out, do you want, if let's just imagine we're in a crazy world where Taylor listens to our podcast, what would you like to tell Taylor to get her to read your book? Um, I'm just imagining, you know, I'm, a 30 big second pitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I guess it would just be that, I have found so much like deep meaning in your story and your music. And I tried to paint a picture of that with my book. And I hope I did you justice. Thank you so much to Christina Pero. Ali, what was your favorite thing that you learned? I think just the fact that she's gotten the email from Tree Payne is like a success in and of itself. <laughs> totally. And the story about Rebecca slash Betty stowing away on a cruise and I guess she wasn't she wasn't off? stowed away, but she was causing a scene, that's for sure. <laughs> that is for sure. Let's head into this week's nightmares and daydreams. Do you want to start with a nightmare or a daydream? Let's go daydream nightmare. Okay, daydream first. So my daydream this week is Mood Ring by Lord. Okay, I actually it? haven't listened to it oh yet. Oh my gosh. Oh my God, I meant to when you told me. 
It's really oh. good, you guys. I recommend it. You should listen to it if you haven't already. I'm using it as my daydream this week because I didn't think I was going to like it. I did really? not did not like Lord's first two singles for Solar Power. Didn't like them. I'm going to be honest. I love, oh my God, I listened to Solar Power so many times. Solar Power just gives me like Venus Razor commercial vibes or like prescription eczema cream commercial. <laughs> and I can say that with authority because I have prescription eczema cream, okay? I think I know what the ads look like, y'all. And oh that's what the song is giving me. Now, I will say it has grown more on me, but whenever I first heard it, I was like, all right. And then with Stoned at the Neil Salon, that was giving me like CW TV show, like a moment where yeah. like the quirky girl tries drugs or something, uh-huh. like a dramatic moment. I just I, didn't I get haven't into heard. It. I have been living under a rock, Cressy. I only thought there was Solar Power out. Okay, well you have two new songs to listen to after this. And I like really like Lord. Like I listen to her stuff a lot. That's how much I don't pay attention. Well, <laughs> like, Mood Ring is awesome. And I will say the other two now have grown on me since. But I think mm. it's a, a good sign when you listen to a song and right away you're like, I love this. And that was me with oh, Mood yeah. Ring. And it has like these background sounds that are very 2000s pop. Yeah. If you haven't okay. heard the song yet, now when you listen to it, you're going to be like, whoa, she's right. I'm excited and I am ashamed of myself for not yet listening to it but that just reminded me of something um I saw it might have been like a snapchat news story so please don't quote me I don't know how credible but there was a story a news story I was reading about something that Lord said about working with Jack Antonoff first of all she called him a platonic husband so Hmm. jury's out there's a powerpoint that disagrees with that yeah um yeah if you don't know what we're referring to i'm pretty sure we went at length during the squad episode about lord's potential relationship with jack antonoff yeah that there's a giant powerpoint out there that some crazy person i don't want to like be mean to them but they put a lot of detail into this like zooming into paparazzi photos and like little lyrics like really going hard and it was it's this big long Mm -hmm. powerpoint that basically proves that they were together now again okay we still don't know that they were ever together but if you go through that powerpoint you're gonna leave it thinking uh maybe they did hook up once but it was also kind of mean to taylor swift so Mm. I hope the creator of it, I hope you have grown since then, since 2017 or whatever <laughs> it was made. Some folklore. But yeah. anyway, you can find, you can literally just Google Laura Jack Antonoff PowerPoint and it'll come up. And we literally can't call anyone crazy for making PowerPoints. We have an entire almost 50 episode podcast now yeah. about Taylor Swift. So no one is crazy. We are the craziest. But probably. anyway, listen to Mood Ring. Let us know what you think about that song. I really like it. Well, and then the other thing that I heard about Lord that I was going to touch on was people were saying or calling her music a Jack Antonoff album. And she was like, that's so misogynistic. Like, I had the full creative direction, blah, blah, blah. But apparently someone somewhere was calling it a Jack Antonoff album. And Lord was like, hell no. No, she works just as hard. Yeah, well, and it's just, it shows the misogyny, like, wanting to give the credit to Jack, you know? And I don't think, I didn't read anything that Jack had said on it. I probably should have done a little more research onto it afterwards. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Because no one calls a Taylor Swift album a Jack Antonoff album. 
No. So there's even people out there, you know, who maybe haven't yet reached Taylor's level who are facing that misogyny even more, you know. Although I don't know. Bitches hate or I'm not gonna say bitches. I was talking about people. People hate women in power and Taylor certainly has a lot of that. But that's an excellent segue, Ali, to my nightmare this week. Okay. My nightmare this week. Jack Antonoff has a girlfriend. Oh, sigh. Cressy's chance just what? blew out the flames. Jack, I would have risked <laughs> it all for you. And you what, still could have a chance. What does Jack do? He, okay, so let me just, for anyone who doesn't know, Jack Antonoff and Margaret Qualey are dating now. Oh, is that the girl who dated Pete Davidson? Yes. And I think <gasps> in Shia Once LaBeouf, Upon a Time? And in Once Upon a Time. Yeah, she's super famous. She is Andy McDowell's daughter. Beautiful girl. 26. Young and beautiful. Kind of like me. But um, <laughs> they have recently come out as dating because there were all of these paparazzi shots of them. I think it was with page six or something. And they're so clearly staged. Like, they definitely called the paparazzi to, like, have these photos. It's sort of like the... Olivia Munn and John Mulaney pictures that came out when they started yeah. dating. It was like, this is clearly their announcement that they're together now. I'm looking, I'm looking at them. As yeah. So speak. do you want to describe them? Um, okay. Let me start with the first one. So, <laughs> uh, well, they're walking on a street. Like they look like they did some casual shopping, you know? So if it's staged, they're certainly trying to make it look like it's not staged. But still, their um, faces are angled at the camera. <laughs> yeah, like, they're they're certainly not hiding their face. And then, so the first one's just them walking down the street. Their arms are together, which can't even be that comfortable, you know, walking no. down the street. Um, People don't walk like that. <laughs> certainly not when there's, like, paparazzi chasing them, too. You know, like, you wouldn't... At that point, you take your arms off of each other and you just walk with a purpose. Yeah. But... Then the next one, which seems even more obvious, is they kiss. So they kiss yeah. in front of the camera. Yeah. Which does not seem like the time that you would want to do that, especially when you're, you know, not that Jack Antonoff and Margaret, they're not like, you know, not famous, but they're not crazy famous. They're not just followed by paparazzi yeah. all the yeah, time. Yeah, this isn't a shot that was taken in a bush. Like the camera person yeah. was in the middle of the sidewalk for this one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and like, and you take that moment when like a stranger is behind you with a camera to kiss. But anyway, that's my, that's my nightmare this week. My lover, uh, Jack Antonov has a girlfriend, so I must move on. But this is an excellent time for me to remind our listeners that I still haven't gotten a riot invitation. <laughs> I had a lot of you, you guys have out. not done the work. <laughs> you guys reached out to me and said that was really funny and you ha ha but what did that give me? Nothing. Not an invite. I need an invite. This this autumn, I need a boyfriend, you guys, so I can dramatically <laughs> listen to the new Red album. Okay? We're going to make this happen, y'all. No, you need to get a boyfriend and then break up right before the 10-minute version of All Too Well. And I can't even get the chance if y'all don't help me get on Raya. Okay? She only has three months to gain and lose a boyfriend, people. Time is taking essence i'm getting it's stressed the- give me an invite please <sighs> oh my god just tell me what you want and we'll arrange a deal okay you could um bribe them with your arts and crafts i have lots of those but i will not <laughs> say that publicly on air because that probably breaks the terms and conditions of raya which i would never do oh never. i would be an excellent member but anyway 
now that we've gone through all of my thoughts that I've had this week, what are your nightmares and daydreams, Allie? Okay. Let's start with your daydream. My daydream is the show The Great. And I am constantly astonished at the fact that so many people haven't seen it because it is my favorite show I've seen in a long time. And I'm pretty sure it came out like maybe two years ago. Let me look right now. Like it's been out for a while. The great first season. That might be confusing. The first season. Okay. So it came out in 2020. So a, a little over a year. No one talks about this show. And I love period pieces. Like, I was a big Game of Thrones person, continue to be a big, you know, What period was Game of Thrones, Allie? Uh, A fake one, but it still (laughs) felt like it. Sorry, I I couldn't (laughs) let that slide. That was your first example. Uh, There was obviously dragons in history, but you know what I mean? Like, I love a period piece. I love anything. Like, honestly, the movie The Favorite, starring Joe Alwyn, love that movie. I don't know. I just it it's just really like my type of media. Well, the Great is very loosely based on Catherine the Great, who uh, was the queen of Russia. She organizes a whole coup to gain Russia, and they always start the show where it's like uh, occasionally true story. So it's like <laughs> very very dramatized. But the Russians are also crazy, which Cressy would know since she is in fact a Russian woman. Duh. <laughs> that means yes um, in Russian. Uh, yeah, I, I assumed. <laughs> Another reason I should be on Raya, I am bilingual. Well, I'm like oh. bi-ish lingual. I just think that everyone should watch the show. Where can people find it, Allie? Hulu. Okay. It's really just so good. I'll check it's it so out. Good. I've been needing a new show to watch at night to wind down because I've been having uh, a lot of nightmares lately. Allie knows this about the apocalypse. Yeah. I think the oh, news yeah. about climate change lately has just really <laughs> gotten to me. And I've just, I've had three dreams about the apocalypse, Allie, in the past week. After y'all oh, left God. the day of my birthday, I had a dream that night. Oh my God. I had another one. That's Seems two like in a one weekend. Great nightmare. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. So I need a good TV show to distract me from the world. So I will definitely check out the great. Yeah, it's highly, highly entertaining. Are you ready for my nightmare? Yes. Cressy, you're not going to like this one because I know you hate talking about this, but it's about The Bachelorette. But I love drama, so spill. Okay. Well, I have a lot of thoughts on how this ended. So basically, Katie, The Bachelorette, ends the season by saying she's in love and getting engaged with Blake. I'm just going to use first names because no one cares about last names. And if you watch The Bachelorette, you probably already know their last names anyways so she ends with this guy blake and they're in love and they're engaged well the final three were justin greg and blake well greg the guy who didn't win was the front runner for a long time like it was really obvious they were going to end up together like they were just in love they had like the first one-on-one date all this stuff she goes on hometowns with him and he tells his family that he wants to marry her, that she's the one, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to go spill my guts to her on the couch. So he tells her, like, you're the one, like, you fill a hole in my heart. His dad died. So he was like, this is the first time I've felt true happiness, which is kind of problematic. But anyways, this guy's like head over heels saying that she's the one. He wants to get engaged. And she responds by saying, I just love looking at you. Ooh. And... Basically, 
what her point, what it seems what her point was, was she didn't want to say I love you until she was like down to the final person. So in her mind, she's like, oh crap, I'm in the hometown week where I'm supposed to keep this going for another episode or two. And this is my person. It seemed, you know, we don't really know what's going in her mind. So she said that she wasn't going to say I love you until she knew it was that person. So basically this guy leaves because he's like, I literally like it turned into like real life real quick. He was like, I literally just said, I wanted to get married to you. And you said, I love to look at you. Okay. That sounds so shitty, but also like that's very manipulative of him. Yeah. To be like, you were the reason for my happiness after my father died. No. And that's like a problematic thing. Like no partner should fill the hole. No. a loss of a parent you just that's just unhealthy that's too much to put on a person so that was problematic in itself but anyways so he leaves even though it really seemed like katie was probably going to end up with him probably loved him she was like calling him you're she was like you're my number one like i just just wait like a couple more you know days or episodes whatever however you want to look at it just wait like you're my number one just trust me and he left he was like fuck that no i'm leaving i just said that you fill a hole in my heart bye well, flash forward to the like the end and Blake, the guy who ends up winning, they go on this one-on-one date and they were like, I mean, they really like they seemed like they were flirty and stuff, but like it didn't seem like anywhere near as serious as her and Greg. Well, Blake tells her, "I'm falling in love with you," which is what she needed to hear. And then she's like, "I love Blake." Mind you, she still has another contestant, Justin, mm. so she's breaking the rule for Blake. You know, and it kind of seemed like Blake came out of nowhere. So it felt like Greg left because she didn't say I love you. Then Blake says I love you. And all of a sudden she's like, I want to get married to him. Like, I want to be engaged. I love Blake. Like, breaking her rule. So that's a whole thing. He ends up winning. Well, she still has this Justin guy after breaking that rule. And Justin, she, like, is supposed to go on the one-on-one date with him where she's supposed to, like, work out her feelings for both of them. And she basically sends him home right away. She says, Blake's my guy. He's the one. I said, I love you. Bye, Justin. And Justin was like broken. He was like, you didn't even give me a chance, you know? So that one seemed more authentic than her and Blake after her and Blake just randomly were in love and were going to get engaged. So then if you don't watch The Bachelorette, like at the end, there's like this episode where Katie sits on the couch and all the final contestants come out and like they basically hash some things out. Well, Justin, the guy who just, like, didn't get a chance, was, like, heartbroken by her choosing Blake over him. Justin goes out on the couch, and he's, like, literally tearing up. Like, it seems so real and so authentic. Like, it seems like he really... And I'm always skeptical. I'm like, do you really love that person? Justin looked heartbroken. And she was really nice to him. Well, then Greg, the guy who everyone thought she was going to end up with, comes out onto the stage. This was, like, the thing that everyone was waiting for. Greg comes out. They have not spoken since he left the show, like, really dramatically. And she fucking lets him have it. Like, yells at him and calls him. So, apparently, he went to this prestigious acting school. And so, she was like, I think it was an act. I don't think you ever loved me. I think that you just came on the show, you know, and wanted to get a platform. Here for the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah, you know, you know. And was like... Get out, Greg, like basically trying to like shame him on TV for leaving. 
but like does not recognize the fact that she literally like didn't say I love you back. And then her and Blake just like randomly got engaged right after like seemingly out of nowhere. So a lot of people have been saying that Katie seems like she's not over Greg yet. Cause he was like, obviously the one that seemed like he was going to win. So I just think it's very interesting. I did not like, I'm just going to go out there and say, I did not like how Katie handled it mm-hmm. during the live. Like it was very mean. Like she really attacked Greg and was like, I'm so over you, like, really, like, literally yelling at him. And I was like, girl, I don't know. You seem <laughs> a little unhinged. But anyways, I just I just had to go on the pod to say I did not like how Katie treated Greg. Not that Greg wasn't problematic, too, but, like, I was just like, that girl, you got some things to work out. Yeah. It was Interesting. a lot. So is Greg or Justin, are they going to be, like, the next Bachelor? Isn't that how it works? Like, the runner's up. Or yeah, the next ones. Yeah, they are. So I don't think they've announced it yet, but gotcha. I was partially thinking maybe that's why like Justin came on so teary eyed because they love to turn like a heartbreak into mm-hmm. like a show like he was heartbroken by this person. Justin's from Baltimore, though. So represent. That's where I grew up. But yeah, it was just I just had like when I had to think of what really pissed me off this week, I've been really busy and I was like, you know what? I'm just still kind of reeling about the Bachelorette ending. Yeah. When was it? I think it was, by the time this comes out, it's going to be at least two weeks ago, but probably three, maybe, Gotcha. by the time this comes out. So, I don't know. But yeah, I'm reeling. I know you don't watch The Bachelorette, but I, if you're listening and you watch it, can you please, like, affirm me that you also didn't like Katie's behavior? Because I really did not. I did was not it her thing it. that she was, like, overly sexual? Wasn't that, like, her brand? Uh, Yeah, so she said probably about... 50,000 times in the first episode that she's sex positive. And it was like, we get it. We get it. Okay. That's probably like, why I know that. I think I saw some tweets. Yeah. I think that was what the bachelorette, which I think is a good thing to push. Mm-hmm. Like you want people, women to be able to talk about sex, but that was like a big thing in the beginning. It was like, I'm sex positive. I, and she did have a really heartfelt story behind it. So I won't discredit her. And I, I liked her the whole season. But I really mm-hmm. wanted her and Greg to get together, I guess. And then she just kind of roasted him on live television, which I just don't think is ever really the way to go. But who knows? Maybe the producers were making them act that way. Yeah. But anyways. Anyways. <laughs> that, that's the nightmare. So thank you all for listening to another episode of Good for a Weekend. If you haven't already, you should follow us on TikTok because we're blowing TF up. Pop in off popping off we are going so hard right now we're going so viral we're gonna need to go on antivirals <laughs> how long have you thought of that that's from Shit's creek oh okay <laughs> oh and we have to introduce our next edition of swifty confessions yes you guys it is that time of year i i have an idea ali that I w- i'm gonna pitch to you Okay. When we first did Swifty Confessions, right here, right now, this is live, this is raw, you guys, this is real, this is me. (laughs) Camp Rock. This is me. Uh So when we first did Swifty Confessions, we said this should be a semi-annual thing. Mm -hmm. Well, we're we're past past the semi-annual mark. (laughs) Because we just have too many things to talk about, right? Yes. I think every year... For as long as we do the podcast, we should do it around our birthdays. So uh, my birthday's in August and Ali's is in September. So very close. And then that gives us a little break between our birthdays. 
Oh, true. Because for yeah. the Swifty confessions, you guys send us your confessions and we play them and we react to them. And that doesn't require any research on our part. So then it's like a little break for our birthdays, a little treat for everyone to celebrate both yes. of us. We can just have some laughs, some lols. LOLs. So instead of making it semi-annual, we can just make it like a, a group birthday thing for us. Send us your confessions as a birthday present to us. Yes. That's so all we're asking for. Can you, <laughs> for anyone who hasn't heard a Swifty confession, Ali, what what instructions would you give them? It would be any unpopular opinion about Taylor Swift or her music, anything you just want to get off your chest. If you came home from work the other day and cried to, uh, what's a good song to cry to? Come back, be here. <laughs> if you were crying to that, I don't ever cry to that song, but you get what I'm saying. If that happens, send that to us. If you maybe like fought someone at a Taylor concert, like maybe got an elbow fight, that would be good. Anything along those lines. If you sent some weird DMs to Taylor Swift or anyone Taylor Swift adjacent. If you cried and sent pictures of yourself to Taylor Swift so she would recognize you. That's a callback to our first Swifty Confessions episode. Listen to that if you haven't heard it. If you emailed Tree Pain and got a no back, but still got an email from Tree Pain. Tell us. Tell us. We want to know. You can send your Swifty Confessions if you want to type it out to our Gmail, which is gfaweekend at gmail.com. Or you can call our hotline. Yes. Our hotline is 205 693 9160 and that will be in our show notes so you can just tap it from there it's also in our leak tree so uh if you call us you do get three minutes you get a three minute mark for your voicemail the whole three minutes is yours and be sure to tell us what to call you so send us an email call us at our hotline by september 16th that is ali's birthday whoop, that whoop. is the deadline and we will record it after her birthday as a little treat to her and we will play your voicemails we will read your emails and either roast you or agree with you so send us your confessions by september 16th and we will have the next edition of swifty confessions in september and in the meantime if you have any more thoughts to share with us you can find us on tiktok instagram twitter uh, we have a website gfaweekend.com uh, we have a Reddit, r slash good for a weekend. Our TikTok is good for a weekend podcast. You don't have to remember any of that because it's all in our show notes and you can click it right there. Hell yeah. So give us a follow, join the discord, share your thoughts and check out Christina's book, Lucky, a novel. And thank you again, Christina, for being on our show. Yes. Thank you, Christina. Jifa out. Bye guys. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.